Hi, I'm Ali, Salon Director at the Head Gardener Hair Salon in Inverness, and I'm delighted to be sponsoring this brilliant new podcast called Lump. It's honest, raw, challenging, funny, and very, very sweary. But let's face it, cancer is a bit bloody sweary. One last thing, make sure you rate, like, and share Lump wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a million. And over to Penny. Well, this week we're doing things a bit differently because we're going to hear from Mary. But before we find out why Mary is sitting here with me in my kitchen drinking tea, we're going to hear this week's episode in The Lump Story. If you've been following the podcast until now, you'll know that the MRI found more than one lump in my left breast. So I've been figuring out that a mastectomy is looking more and more likely. Vanity prevails. We saw my surgeon on Thursday. In theory, it was to get the test results back from the biopsies following the MRI. But none of us were expecting anything other than that the cancer was spread beyond the initial lump. It has, and I have had a week anticipating this point. He does his usual thing of summing up where we've got to and why. He confirms a mastectomy is no longer a choice. It's my only option. Then asks how I feel about that. I shrug. I've known this was coming. I've done my homework. I'd figured it out. I nod to the A4 sheet of type questions I'm clutching. The nurse smiles and says they're usually written on scraps of paper. Not me. If there's one thing I know how to do, a place I know where to take control... It's when it comes to writing questions. And these questions have come easily over the past week. I was never the kid who was afraid of putting up their hand in case of asking something stupid. If I'm curious, then I'm curious. And I want answers. I've made a career out of wanting answers. So we pick our way through my list. Will it come back in my right breast? The evidence suggests... There's no higher risk. Is there a genetic link? I need to know for B. Unlikely, but they'll investigate if we need to find out more. Do I need to have my coil removed? No, not unless you want, but don't get it replaced. I question this one more thoroughly. How come, I ask, if I'm going to take tamoxifen, because we now know my cancer is responsive to hormones, isn't that counterintuitive? The surgeon gives me his thoughts. I'm satisfied and move on. Down through my list we dance until I come to rest on how scarred will I be? Do you want to see photos? He asks. Yes, I say. So as he goes out of the room to find his photos, I mull over the curious statistic he's offered that in the Highlands only 15 to 20% of women he sees opt for a reconstruction. I'm surprised by this. He says you need to consider why you want one. We've had to push and pull this one around a bit. I did consider how I would feel just having a mastectomy without reconstruction. Tried to imagine the feel of nothingness. I looked up pictures and flinched at the odd, pinched-in torso of double mastectomy survivors. I'd asked David to be honest with me. Asked if he thought I was someone who needed to be more 
whole. He said a very definite yes. I wondered whether that made me vain, but in the end thought that it would be the fastest route back to some kind of normality, even if recovery was more prolonged. So I've opted to be one of the 15%, but I still find the prospect hard to swallow. The surgeon shows me his work. We flick through anonymous photos of women with latissimus dorsi reconstructions, looking for breasts that compare in size and shape to my own. This is surreal. Three and a half weeks ago, this was not part of my landscape. Now, here I am, sitting in a beigely bland hospital consulting room, flicking through a macabre catalogue of life-saving surgery. He shows me what he describes as his best work, and I'm impressed. He says he can't show me the worst, but it looked like a shark attack. It all fell apart. I'm deeply reassured by his honesty and his ability to deduce that I need that honesty. I don't need subtle, smooth words. I need fact and flinty reality. Suddenly, it all moves forward with a jolt. A date is booked for a sentinel node biopsy, a later date for the surgery itself, a commitment to come back in between the two to discuss whether there's lymph node involvement. We have a plan. We're introduced to Karen, the breast care nurse, who hands me quantities of leaflets and her card so I can call with any further questions. She takes us along to the pre-op assessment team who immediately say they'll see me before their afternoon appointments. I'm being moved to the top of a queue, it seems. After three weeks of wading through life in slow motion, we're being fast-tracked past waiting lists and appointment letters. If I was suddenly to be whooshed into theatre here and now, I wouldn't be surprised. The nurses in pre-op assessment ask question after question in duplicate, tick box after tick box, testifying how little I drink, how good a diet I have, that I'm not overweight, that I don't smoke, how much exercise I do, the underlying scream in my head being why I shouldn't be here for fuck's sake. Then they say they'll need to take some blood. And I blanch. I say they'll need to lie me down. And once again I feel an idiot for being so good at fainting and so bad at coping with these kinds of medical interventions and invasions into my body. I'm taken to a different room and a different nurse introduces herself, but I'm not paying attention because my brain is still reeling from the sudden pace of the cancer conveyor belt. I lie down and she chats amiably as she tightens a tourniquet round my right arm and searches for a vein. At first I do okay. I chat back, smile and play the game. But after the first vein collapses and the second attempt to find some blood fails too, tears start to come. She calls for one of the anaesthetists to help. They move the bed so he can get to my left arm instead, another tourniquet, and I pump my hand obediently. It hurts, and now I'm in floods of tears, and the beautiful nurse holds my hand in hers and looks me in the face and whispers, you're stronger than you realise. You can do this. You're so strong. And now it's the compassion in her eyes that's bringing me to tears. And I'm unspeakably moved at how moved she is by my misery. And then I'm finished and out of there. And walking with David to the car. And I'm wishing I could remember her name. 
and I'm already starting to mourn the loss of my left breast, while starting to panic at how and when we will finally tell B about all of this and none of it. So, the other week, Ali from The Head Gardener and me were on mornings on BBC Radio Scotland talking to Kate Adams about the podcast. After I left the studio, I got an email from someone called Mary, which said, Good morning, you certainly won't remember me, but at the very start of your cancer journey, I met you. I'm a nurse and I carried out your pre-assessment prior to surgery. I've never forgotten you and I've often wondered how you got on with your treatment. I'm just after listening to you on the Kay Adams show and I'm really, really glad to hear that you fought and won the battle. Good on you and congratulations. I love it, you've done your podcast, which I will now be listening to. Take care, Mary McLennan. (laughs) Mary, I can't tell you how excited I was to get your email. It totally blew me away. Well, it blew me away as well because I was working at the time and my mind was 80% on somebody else and I was only half listening, so I didn't click straight away and it wasn't as it went on that you clearly penetrated the grey matter. (laughs) Some might say it was faster than sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And I realised and all I could see was you, you lying there needing to get the blood taken and... I just felt everything and I was just so, so glad to know that you were out the other side. It just meant so much. I couldn't believe that you'd remembered me because you must have, you must have dealt with so many patients in that, what, that was three and a half years ago now. Yeah. And I thought, how do you remember me? And, and when your opening line was, you won't remember me but, and I thought, eh? You bet I do. <laughs> in fact, it's funny because we hadn't been talking about this particular part yeah. of the podcast on, on the radio. So it was just out of left field. And I thought, I wonder if that's Mary who tried to take my blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guilty as charged. <laughs> All but, I can say is sorry. <laughs> I didn't get it. <laughs> I was just surprised that you'd remembered. And, yeah. and is that part of your approach to nursing? Um, I can't. I cannot at all claim that I remember every patient, but there is patients who will always stand out in your memory. Probably you stood out because, you know, there's not that much separates us in age and I've got children too and I'm there and I'm in uniform and I'm doing my job, but very, very acutely aware that it could be me next week. could be me that's needing to give blood or me that needs to go home and tell my children or me that even later today it could happen to me that you would find what you had found and my heart just broke for you. It really, really did. We're both sitting here in tears now, aren't we? And and I'm fine, I'm here. But um, that, when we were in touch, I immediately said, not only did I not, forget you I wrote about you and always wanted to know your name always wanted to know who you were and I sent you the 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 script for the episode um and I suppose I wondered if you I wonder if you realize how much that compassion makes a difference yeah were you surprised yeah when I said I'd remembered you totally and utterly blindsided so I read it burst out crying 
I'm quite good at crying generally, <laughs> but I did burst out crying. And then I plucked up the courage and read it again and burst out crying again. And then I, I couldn't wait to tell my husband that you had survived, not that he knew anything about you, but I just said, this patient has been attached, they've survived, they, you know, they got to the far side of it, they did it, they did it. And uh, I read to him what you had written, and the two of us sat in tears, <laughs> just because it just, it just means so much, because you nurse so many people, and yet you're only a snapshot of what the journey is that they'll go through. And there's so many that I remember that I have no idea what happened to them. And so it just, it, it, it's like being, I don't know, it, it's just, it's wonderful to know that something that I did, I was a tiny cog that helped to keep you here. And you, but I did, had no idea that that meant anything to anyone. It meant a huge amount. I mean, it really did. And I, I kind of, had, had life not been so upside down at the time and so all over the place, I would have gone back and tracked you down. <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have been your personal stalker. Only took me three, three I, years. You'd have been disappointed, wouldn't you? <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> not, not at all. But um, yeah, because it, it genuinely was, was so important to me. I wonder whether, I mean, in retrospect, Everyone's different, of course, but I wonder if for me that, that you know, everything felt so heightened yeah. that when someone shows you some compassion and caring, I, it was like my, my sensitivities were dialed up to everything. Yeah. So I almost felt it really more. It felt really vivid that uh, because I was so emotional yeah. and raw. Is it quite difficult, though, balancing that compassion and empathy that you clearly have in bucket loads with doing the job that you do because you must get blindsided by, by people having a tough time yeah. all the time. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'll be honest, before I came here today, I thought, so, now I wonder should I take a uniform because uniform somehow bizarrely helps. Um, so I decided I was going to put on my brave pants and I would just wear my own clothes. <laughs> Not to appear totally odd, <laughs> but yeah, it is quite hard to live with in, in some ways. I mean, but I think when you're a nurse, you work only as a, you know, as I said, I'm only a small, small bit in a big, big team. And, you know, it means a lot more when you see a consultant walking down the corridor with tears in their eyes about what's going on or whatever. And you, and you realise we none of us are immune to this and we none of us don't have feeling. We all have feeling. We're there because we have feeling. And you can choose to let it pull you down or you can choose to make it your strength. And I guess I, the people I've seen showing emotion, I've admired them and I've always thought, well, maybe there's something to be learned from that, that just... By being honest about our feelings, we can genuinely use it as a strength. That's interesting. And you swam tucking that one in my pocket. <laughs> I like it when I learn stuff. Um, it's funny, it's been quite a big leap for me to decide to put the, the stuff I wrote yeah. out there. Yeah. And to do the, the podcast. Um, not because I have any issue with being honest, 
Um, but partly because I think, why would anyone want to hear me banging on? But then they don't have to listen to it. They, can, they, don't, have to, they don't have to listen to me banging on. <laughs> Only my family have that, that pleasure all day, every day. But <laughs> what I was going to say to you is, out of interest, uh, as a healthcare professional, does it help hearing this kind of stuff? Yeah, it does. It does help in as much as that I think sometimes you can feel you're giving, giving, giving. And it's good to hear how it's received, do you know? Um, as part of our, you know, maintaining our registration and everything else, we are supposed to seek um, patient feedback and all the rest of it, which I might, you know, be chapping you for in three years' time <laughs> when I have to redo mine. Um, and I've, I've always found that something incredibly hard to ask anyone their opinion about me as a nurse, because can I change myself? I, I don't know if I can make myself different to do the job better, you know. Not that I think I'm doing it great, I just, I am what I am, do you know what I mean? In exactly the same way as you were what you were when I saw you that day. And so yeah, it is good and it's brilliant to know that there are survivors out there. And useful to know what someone might be going through on the inside? Yes, absolutely. Because it, you, you, that's experience you take to the next person. So, you know, the way I've worked in my years as a nurse is to, to try to learn what people are going through, to try to know what's, you know, how I can make myself better, how I can actually make a difference to somebody's life. And yes, you know, you can technically know how to put on a dressing well and you can technically know how to take blood well, which I clearly didn't do that day. <laughs> and you can technically know how to do lots of things. But at that, I've always felt, well, that won't actually make the difference because if it was going to make the difference, we could get robots to do it. It's the fact that I can use the experience I've had in the past to take to the next person, to help to make them strong, to go through the journey they have to go through. Yeah, and I think what you brought to me that day was, people talk about me being brave and being honest, but I felt that when you looked at me that day and you looked in my eyes and you said you're stronger than, than you think, and you had tears in your eyes too, there was a great honesty in, in, you know, I felt huge honesty in you there, that you weren't playing a role, whether you had that nurse's no. uniform on or not, and that, that armour. No, but that was just what I it, saw. It was, it was just an honest, open, for me, really powerful connection. Yeah. And so when you wrote to me and said you'd remembered me, I was just, I was sort of giddy with it. <laughs> It was quite giddy yes. I'd found you again, actually, to be I honest. Was, uh, so, you know what, thank you so much for sending that email. Can't, can't tell you how much it meant. And back, back three and a half years ago, you did a bloody brilliant job. I was just honest in what I saw. You were strong. You are strong. You were having a wobble at the time. We're all allowed to wobble. It's the getting out and carrying on fighting that matters. Mary. It's lovely to meet you again. It's good to meet you again too. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. 
Should you say Lump is sponsored and supported by the fabulous team at the Head Gardener Hair Salon in Inverness. Without them, my hair would look a total disaster. Um, and if you're in the salon, make sure you mention Lump because there's a wee gift in it for you. Lump is written and presented by me, Penny Stewart, and produced by Adventurous Audio Limited. See you next week. That wasn't too painful, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I didn't cry too much. <laughs> just a wee bit. Both of us just a wee bit.